you want to introduce the episode? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll give it a shot. You don't have to. I, those are sincere no, 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 questions. Yeah, it's not my I, way of saying do it. I I haven't done it in a while. Do it. I haven't done do it in a while. I'll, I'll try. Do you ever do Emperor Palpatine impressions? Do it. No, no, no. You don't do those? Okay. Because I quite enjoy doing them. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Absolute and things i just really enjoy it because he's the greatest cinematic creation ever hey everyone ever and welcome to 20th century podcast where we try to understand our present while living in the past my name is bob canning and i am Tim Blevins, and that was that was kind of your own little spin on it. I think there are either a couple new words or a couple words that didn't make it into the intro. That's great, right? Apparently not. I know. Isn't that weird? Why would he have mentioned it if he? Yeah, that's weird. That's what, what people do. What that. did that's I a, miss? What was wrong well, I think with it? it? What did was it? I think it's the show where we try to understand the past while living. Oh, in instead, world. and you say and podcast. I think you said something like, "I think what you said was." Uh, Welcome to the Star Wars Minute. No, I think he said some other <laughs> podcast. I think he said, lock the gates. No, I think he probably said, this is script notes. No, what I, thought I heard, what I thought I heard you say was CNN, but you, they don't have a podcast. They're the news. So the thing is, I don't, I don't open the show that often, Tim. And so tonight I thought, well, you know what? Let's give Tim a break. This is, this is going to be his episode where uh, he gets to talk about what I talked about last week, our top five favorite albums of the 90s so let me open the show let him take a breath prepare mm-hmm. himself to 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 discuss his albums i'll open the show even though i i refrain usually from doing it i i make sure that you do it because i tend to screw it up and so even when i open the show and do an okay job you've got your little critiques and so i well thank you i'll keep practicing I was trying so hard to think of a podcast with two hosts so I could just say, and I'm so-and-so, and I couldn't. I couldn't even think of uh, whoever does Fresh Air. What's that woman's name? I, oh, uh, I, it's not coming to me. She's been doing it for 40 years, I think. I, yeah, and I've been listening to it for n- never. I always say Airy Gross, but that's an actor, and I think he was – he was in Terry. like voluntary. Terry Gross is her name. Yeah. So I don't always say Terry Gross. Thank you for doing the intro, by the way. That was very kind. I didn't listen to it just then because I was trying to think of the other podcaster's name, but it did give me a <laughs> chance to catch my breath and to prepare for talking about my version of CDs this week after yours last week. So thank you. No problem. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's our first two-parter. It's part two of a of a, of a two two week topic. Um, how are you feeling about how last week's went? How did you feel after that? What was it like to kind of talk about? To, I know we talked about it in the episode, but uh, how, how did you have any regrets after it was recorded? Like, oh, I should have changed that or, or alter it. No, no regrets. I felt pretty confident, pretty comfortable with the choices. I feel like I may have just been too rushed and breathy and excited because I just it very much enjoy talking about those albums. And so um, hopefully I didn't sound like just some sort of crazy person saying here, listen to this. But uh, I don't think you're saying 
I think you do get very excited when you talk about music. It is noticeable. I've noticed on past episodes, you have the most – no, and that's as, as a compliment. I guess there's no way for it sure, to sound no, like that. No, it makes sense. But um, I think you have the most confidence um, in talking about music. And football was the other <laughs> topic. I think you – Football and Huey Lewis. Well, Huey Lewis, he is – it's hard to separate him from football. But yeah, it's true. No, I just I, and and you you talk about a lot of things. I, I'm not meaning to say all all you talk about is music, but I I do notice a change, or you seem more excited. It seems to be that's the thing you want to actually talk about. Do you get a chance to talk about music in your everyday life? I know you write about it. I know you listen to it, but are you are you communicating with people about it? No, not really, not too often. Uh, my girls, I'll talk to my girls about it, and they'll be interested for about 18 seconds. Um, but you know, is that a piece or each? Uh, usually uh, concurrently? Um, mm. So I'll take it. it. You know, a couple years from now, it might be two minutes. So I'll handle that. I'll, <laughs> I'll be excited. Um, but no, there's there's not too many folks I get to interact with and talk music with. So yeah, maybe that's why I get so excited on our podcast music episodes like this one. I'm very excited. Like this I'm one. very excited to hear what your top five are, and and really, I'm excited to see where we cross over. Because I'm, I'm sure <laughs> okay, that's I'm, I'm sure curious. that's going to happen. I have a little insight because I know the list, but yeah, that'll be exciting. Um, no, I'll be excited. I'm I'm. It was hard, by the way, before right. getting into it. This was a lot harder than I thought, and you expressed that last yeah. week. Um, I don't think I normally have that hard of a time compiling lists. I think I just for myself, my own entertainment, you know, I, I will be like, what are my three favorites? This, how do I order all the Marvel movies? And I can do all that. I can slot all those. This, I don't know. I think because it encapsulates a decade, there was a brief moment where I thought, wait, didn't we already do this? We did high school. So it's a little different. Right. Although none of those albums showed up on your list, right? None of your high school albums showed up in your nineties list. No. And, and, I, I kind of mentioned that. I don't know if it made the final cut, but yeah, my, my thing was that I was discovering music in college. And so those albums and the later albums meant more to me. So yeah, mine were mostly late, late mid to late 90s. And they were. You're right. I um, Well, we'll we, we can hear what mine are. Mine are from, I think, mostly early to mid 90s. Uh, but no, I'm putting this list together and getting prepared for it. There were two that I definitely knew. The top two, which eventually we'll get to, those I knew from the start. Mm -hmm. But working backwards, yeah, it was it was I went through a couple different albums, I rearranged a few, and I found myself talking to myself about music. I actually was talking out loud about it, mm. talking a little bit about what matters, you know, like taking little notes. And that kind of helped me whittle down um what it was that I, you know, what I felt and what I was gonna talk about. But I used to sit around and talk music with people. Did you ever, did you have a period where you would sit? I mean, did we talk about music? I feel like you and I would always talk about movies more than music. We listened to music, but I don't know if you ever really talked about it. Yeah. I don't know that we did talk about it too much aside from the, you know, check out this album or listen to this band. We didn't really get into much more than that. I mean, we'd, we'd, uh, I remember when we would, go to Mary Ann's, we'd make sure to jump on the jukebox there before anybody else and, and get our songs in. Um, so we, yeah. we definitely Mary Ann's was a bar in Alston, just to clarify that we used to go to, and you're right. They had, a, they had a digital jukebox, no, not a digital jukebox. I don't think it was, it was digital yet. Old. Yeah. I think it was still uh, old school CDs. So mid, middle, middle school. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, we never really, I don't know. I don't know that we ever 
really at length discussed songs, song meanings, and what they meant to us. Now, are you finding, because your blog does that, um, and no, I, ha- I didn't just read the most recent one. I know they, that would be a great segue to say, like in your most recent one. I do know that in your blog, you're writing about mixtapes, so you write about music. And I'm wondering, maybe the way we normally talk about music is just with the songs, with just handing someone the music, like to actually write about it. Like when you sit down to write about your tapes, is there a process to that? Are you dissecting it song by song? Did you have to learn how to work with that? Um, you know, I'm, I some of the tapes, if they have some special meaning or if I think they – uh, came at a certain because because the conceit of the blog is going through them chronologically from the earliest tape that I could find to what will end up being the most recent, um, and so then also writing about where I was and what I was doing in my life at that time and how maybe that tape was a reflection of what was happening, um, and so there's that portion of it, and then there's also after I get past that part, um, I have the section that I actually call "That's great, but how's the mix." Um, and so then I get into talking about the actual songs and how they might blend together and what my choices were for putting those three in a row or how I opened it or how I closed it, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, no, it's, it's, it's fun to write about. Um, and a lot of times, and and like you're saying, it's hard to talk to about it, or maybe what we prefer to do is just have the music. And so for sure, I put a link there, uh, and embed a, a playback for, the songs that I'm talking about to make sure people can read about it and then also listen to it. Cause listening to it is for me, the most important part. But do you talk to people about music at work and stuff? Like, is that something you even want to do? Cause that again, and if we already said this, I'm sorry to make you repeat it. I feel like talking about music is different than talking about movies it's, is different than talking about books. I don't know why that is. Um, I think because it's not as, I mean, I don't know the facts or figures, but it's not as a uh, uh, widespread you know, I mean, everyone, because of television commercials and billboards, um, knows that the Black Panther movie is out. And even if you haven't seen it, you could probably talk about it, the visuals of it, the reactions of the media, an article you read. Whereas music, even a new album, unless it's someone huge like Beyonce, um, you don't get that sort of uh, exposure. Um, and so it's just it's much easier. And I think more people can speak to television shows and movies than they can to music because music is is just not uh, distributed the same way. And also, I think music becomes more personal than those other things. And so it's it's hard to connect. Um, and I can't remember if this made the last episode or not, but. I did connect with somebody. We had a t-shirt day where you had to wear a band t-shirt at work. Oh, that made the episode. Yes. Okay. There's a so, section about band t-shirts <laughs> in last week's episode. Check it out, people. I'll put it in the show notes for a timestamp. So um, so it was great to see, you know, I had a very obscure t-shirt on for a, a record label uh, or a record group, and she had an obscure band. Uh, and so it was great to make that connection. And we talked about music uh, in that moment. Um, but that just was because we had a billboard basically on our chests and we were like able to connect. Uh, when you're just in your normal attire, you don't know what kind of music somebody likes, but it's easy to say, hey, did you see Black Panther? You can't say, hey, have you heard the new Decemberist album? You know, because that's just not as common. Yeah, well, 
That's interesting. Although, I mean, I feel like I have conversations with people about Transformers, about the X-Men, about things from the 80s and 90s, and it happens. It works. Those aren't current. I'm wondering, like, music? I mean, I think we're skipping over things like the Beatles here. I mean, like, music, I think, is all-encompassing. I think it can be universal. But even that, I don't think the conversations I'm looking for are always universal conversations. Hmm. I mean, you have friends, like this friend you're saying with the T-shirt, who are into music, but... I don't know. I guess I'm trying to get, is there an impulse in you to want to talk about music? I mean, I know you said that was kind of nice with the shirt and you got to talk about a record company, but do you inherently on a day-to-day basis want to, or has there been a time in your life where you've been able to talk about music with someone similar to how we do, how we do it on the show or just however it is you'd want to do, just express it in words, talking about it without playing it. Cause that's what we're doing here. And that is very difficult. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm always game to talk about music for sure. I always want to. I just don't seem to find the the moments or the opportunities to. Huh. It's interesting. I don't think I get that yet. I, I do think that there it's different. I don't think I talk I feel like music there's a more of a snobbery to it. I think it was a word we were using last week, and I think that's yeah. true. I think the last thing I want to hear is that people tell me about how instruments work. <laughs> or composition works. Like I just want to talk about the feelings and the, and the lyrics, I guess. Lyrics are something I can talk about. And sure. yeah, I guess I don't find that too often. But today, I get to do it today. Maybe we yeah. should, should get to that. I'm looking forward to it. I have been uh, very eager to hear. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got probably just one band that I think that I know will come up. But I'm, I'm really – I think the other four might surprise me. Oh, okay. We'll I'll see. be curious. I'll be curious to hear what that might be. But yeah, so in case you didn't listen last week, please do go back and check out last week's uh, top five albums of the 1990s Bob edition episode. In that, Bob counted down his five favorite albums uh, from the 90s. And to be clear on it, because I did have to remember this, we're talking about albums that came out in the 90s that we were listening to in the 90s that we came to in the 90s that impacted us. Because as we'll see as I'm talking, there was an album that almost made this list. I think you had a similar incident, but it's just I didn't listen to it till the 2000s, so it's of a different era. But this is albums released in that decade period of 1990 to 1999 that we were listening to in that era. And so these are the five top of those. That's explanation. That made sense, right? That 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 made perfect sense, and I think it's a, it's a perfect segue to your number five pick. Sure. And this um, this one rotated in and out a little bit. It was on the list. It was off, but then it got right back on. Uh, my number five pick on the top five albums in the 1990s is an album by Amy Mann, and it's her 1993 debut solo album, uh, Whatever is the name of the album. Are, are you a fan of Amy Mann? Do, do, do you know her a bit? I do know her a bit. You can't live with Tim Blevins for four and a half, five years in the 90s and not know Amy Mann. Is that true? Was I playing her aloud a lot then? Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, a few songs. I don't think I actually now, being so removed from it, I don't think I can remember any of the tunes. But I'm sure once you start playing something, I'd be like, oh, shit, yeah, that's the Amy Mann song or that's the Amy Mann album. How rude would it be if I started playing music right now? It wouldn't be rude at all. Yeah. Well, Amy, man, I mean, I think people know her. I think she's she's still got a following. Um, I knew, I mean, in the '90s, I knew her from uh, from Till Tuesday, her '80s band. Well, I knew the song "Voices Carry," 
But um, in the middle of the 90s, she, she went solo early 90s. In the middle of the 90s, she had a song that came out. And it's not on this album that I'm talking about. This is kind of the segue to, I think, why this album means a lot to me. Uh, she had a song called That's Just What You Are. And it was a single of hers. It was it was in an episode of Melrose Place. It was on the radio. There was a video. So I heard that song a lot. Did you know that song? Do you know the song That's Just What You Are? That title sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah it, it was catchy. It was bouncy. And it was on her second album, a 1995 album called I'm With Stupid. And, and you know, it was a hit. I think it was kind of her radio hit. And I liked it. You know, I liked the sound of it. But um, I don't think I wanted the hits. You know, if there was something about like, I felt like I was finding this person, her her voice is really captivating, her tone or whatever, she's a beautiful guitarist. So I was in Newberry. I remember being in Newberry Comics on Newberry Street. Um, mm-hmm. I think this was while we were still in college. And I know that I went to, I would, with that song, That's Just What You Are On My Mind, I went to the M's, I, I thumbed through it, and there was Amy Mann. And I had the her second album in my hand. And I remember in the little, you know, the little filing area with the CDs, the, her first album, whatever, there was a copy of that as well. I remember picking it up and it was almost like, um, you know, in Raiders of Lost Ark where he's weighing out the sand, the switch <laughs> for the idol. for the right. Like I was kind of sizing him up a little. Like I was looking on yeah. the backs, looking at titles. And I can never tell from titles what I'm going to like. But I put the I'm With Stupid, the second album, the one that was kind of the one they were pushing, the one that had songs on the radio. I put that one back. And I grabbed whatever for the sheer purpose that I didn't know anything off of that particular Amy Mann album. I knew that I wanted to like Amy Mann. I knew two songs by her, Voices Carry, and That's Just What You Are, but I liked them. They were hitting me. So I wanted to like her. And so I grabbed the one that I did not know because I felt like, well, no one's going to know this one. you know. And if I'm going to get to know her music, that's how – I'm going to get to know her music. You know, it was a, a stupid elitist kind of snobby reaction to right. seeing these two CDs. And it kind of paid off, actually. I mean, this album did stick with me. I like the other album as well, but this album, it's an album that's all about um, regrets, I think. She sings a lot about looking back with kind of a sad longing on something. You know, I, I don't know if it's always pain, but it's definitely. Um, Failure. I think she writes a lot about failures and mm. foolishness. I think maybe that's what it is. It's more about foolishness. You know, she writes honest pain about foolish actions and um, foolish like anticipation or just you know foolishly counting on someone. And I think hearing that on this album in the mid nineties and coming to that, I was kind of coming into my own with this reality of cynicism. You know, sort of this, maybe not having all this hope that I was raised with and maybe kind of feeling like the world wasn't this perfection of something or this hopeful thing. And and she was dealing with it in her lyrics. Right. And she was dealing with this bitterness and this pain and she was turning them into these things of um, of beauty, you know, kind of like Richard Lewis with his comedy. Like, that's why I was into him. He was taking this pain and suffering and making it funny. She was taking this, again, I don't know if it was pain, but definitely suffering. And she was making these beautiful sounds out of it. And is it, uh, you know, I, what was that? Well, I was going to ask, is it, is it the combination of the lyrics and the sounds that, that really had the album take hold for you? Or was it the lyrics that, that grabbed you most? 
It's very much both. And that's, that's yeah. a good, good question you're asking because there's another artist that we'll get to in a minute where I don't know what they're saying. I don't always – sometimes <laughs> right. it's very hard to pick out lyrics, even when they're written in, in the liner notes. It's hard to, to figure them out so you get a sense or a feeling. But her words, I mean, she has beautiful turns of phrases. She's a beautiful guitarist as well. I mean, I think we're going to see each of these albums I picked were like soundtrack albums for me. Like they're good walking through Boston songs or they're good leaning on your windowsill songs. Anything that's overly dramatic, you know. But, but yeah, her lyrics, like um, the song that uh, I would recommend off this, you know, like we talked last week, like what song would you recommend off of this album? She has a, a song on this called The Fourth of July is the name of the song. And it's a gentle uh, – it's like a quiet little guitar ballad, you know, that kind of feels like um, like raindrops, you know, hitting your window or, or hitting your jacket, you know. And it, it's this reflection on like a passage of time. And, and you know, she's talking about the 4th of July. And she has this lyric that has always kind of stuck in my head. And I've used it. You know, I've said it or typed it, tweeted it for different reasons. But um, just this, you know, in describing the 4th of July, this dumb holiday that I don't think I've ever enjoyed, but I've really come to hate. And she just refers to it as a waste of gunpowder and sky. You know, that line is in there, this beautiful line that kind of cuts in with the melodies. And, you know, she's instantly, um, what's she doing? She's like diffusing the false happiness, you know, of this forced holiday. And it's to this very sweet guitar at the same time. And that's really what I needed. I mean, this is kind of where it started for me, I think, this realization of falseness, falsehoods, and, and singling it out. And, and I feel like this album, because it's so beautiful sounding, you know, that struck me. I, I replayed it a lot. And also because of who she was. I mean, here we were in Boston, you know, and I was grabbing CDs in Boston. And then Amy Mann, she's from Boston. And maybe it's just because that was college time, but there is, I don't know, there's something about identifying in Boston. I do it with authors. I do it with filmmakers. And yeah, I do it with music. And again, it's it's a little phony, isn't it? I'm not from Boston. Yeah. But I latch on to I this. Don't know. I don't know. I, I think that too sometimes it's like most of, well, yeah, the majority of my life was spent in three places, my hometown, Boston, and now out here in LA. And I spent more time in my hometown and in LA compared to my time in Boston. But I always tell people where you're from when they ask, I'm always like, oh, I came from Boston. Oh, you do? Huh. Yeah, it's like, I am from Boston. Because I, I feel like I lived, you know, I lived my formative years in Boston. Like my, my high school years were semi-formative, but my real formative years were in Boston. And so I, I'll say I'm, I'm from back east, lived in Boston. That's basically what I, what I will say. Do you ever have any attachment to Los Angeles, being in Los Angeles? Is that something for you? No, no, not really. Really? You're raising a family I there? You, you, you're I, I know. There. It's very strange. I, have, I mean, I have connections here, um, and certainly it's hard to leave here now. It's something I've discussed, but it, it's always like, well, this is where we're putting our roots down. Um, yeah. So it's – but I don't feel connected to it. Do you still I, feel I, connected to Boston or do you feel connected to Boston in the 90s? Um, I probably still feel connected to Boston in the 90s. The few times I've been able to return to Boston, I kind of would like walk around like this was my place. Yeah. Um, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know what like, voice that was, but yeah, I'll support that. Yeah, but it's like 
okay, that that building wasn't there there before, or this road has been cleaned up and and I can't walk through there anymore. And it's just yeah. So I haven't I don't feel as connected, but um I definitely like just the other day I posted something on my on my wife's Facebook page that was a, a Boston joke thing because that's where we met, that's where we courted. So yeah, Boston just means a lot to us. It, and I will say, walking around, like I, all of that's there. It's like this has changed so much. Where are the bookstores? Be you bought everything, but a bit of a, you know. But that always happens. And when we got there, people right. were saying the same thing. Like, where are the hookers and the syringes? But <laughs> I'm always pleasantly surprised, or, or at least pleasant to have the experience. Like it still hits me. I can walk around Boston, and it comes back. I'll put on the headphones, play some of these songs, play other songs. Like I'll make it a point to play certain things. I'll walk certain places. And even though 20 years is a long time ago, you know, 25 years really from the start of it, things have been reworked. There are still enough touch points and they're touch points or locations that are heightened again, by the music that's playing, by the memories of what was there, by the jacket I'm wearing coat, I guess, long coat, but but it's it, it still gets to me. I still feel resonance or a residence there. I guess I don't tell people I'm from Boston. I mean, I don't even think I tell them I'm from Connecticut. I, I just don't say it doesn't come up, but I still have something there, and and, and it's tied into these a lot of these songs, all of these songs actually, which is supposed to be a segue to get to the next one, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's hear what number four is on your list. On this list, yeah. Number four, it's an album from 1996. And it's an album called Carnival Boy by Tobin Sprout. Do you know who Tobin Sprout is? Um, I'm not too familiar with Tobin Sprout. And you're going to kill me for that. Oh, no. Because I should be. That should be. It's a name. And again, it's a name. That, that that I'm familiar with because uh you had that Contiki band I was unfamiliar with last <laughs> week. Is he uh is he from um Guided by Voices? He is, actually. He's All right. totally from okay. so that's and that's great. I I still wanted to get Guided by Voices on this list, actually. Oh yeah. Uh, well yeah, because if 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 not the replacements, if for some reason I can't say the replacements. Guided by Voices are my favorite band. I mean, I guess it's a replacement, but I, I fucking love Guided by Voices, and they've been so impactive on me. And the 90s were their heyday. Those are the albums I like. Like, I had Alien Lanes. I think you had it, too. But um, but truthfully, you do? Yeah, it's great. I mean, all those fucking albums in a row are great. Alien Lanes was the only one I had in the 90s. So in the 90s, I wasn't – I mean, I was listening to them, but I wasn't listening to them – obsessively yet you know they're sort of um they're like my 21st century band sure um even though the work that i listened to was released in the 90s but regardless my gateway to get to them eventually my introduction to them what what eventually i think led me to them and maybe even led to me buying alien lanes i don't know the order there was this Mm. album which is the first solo album um, from, like you said, the band member Tobin Sprout. Um, and it was sort How of- How did you catch catch wind of Tobin Sprout if you weren't familiar with Guided by Voices? This I stumbled across, I mean, in 1999, I, I worked at the at Curious Liquids, this coffee shop called Curious Liquids. And I worked some of the oddest hours of my life there. You probably remember <laughs> this. I was from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the morning. 
you know, I did this six days a week and I worked with a bunch of different people, one of which was this guy named Greg. And he introduced me to Tobin Sprout music, not the guy. He had a kid guided by voices album, they had a Tobin Sprout albums, and he just happened to put this on. And, you know, at that point, at that phase of my life, I spent most of my days in a daze, you know, and sort of a, cause I was always exhausted. I was always smoking. I was always tipsy. I was always, work didn't feel like work. I was always hocked up on a lot of caffeine. I was just seeing people all the time. I felt like I had three lives going cause I had what little space I etched out for our life at home. I had that life. I had my life um, off and on with different uh, girlfriend here and a girlfriend there that I didn't want to be with. And I had my life at the shop. So it was this dizzying, surreal, almost like flipping between a couple of different sitcoms, you know, it was just, sure. it was, you know, I was awake all the time and yeah. it constantly felt like a, a dream. And this dream, you know, had sadness and curiosity and confusion and comedy and, and comedy. And I guess minus the comedy, this album had those other things, <laughs> you know, it, 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 and it was like all these titles of songs that I didn't even understand, you know, Ease, Navy Blues, Gas Daddy Gas, um, but Hermit Stew, you know, they all had um, this air of being intellectually important words that maybe were invented on the spot, you know, and, and I just, it was all this dreamy four track you know, his voice is sometimes very filtered. It sometimes doesn't sound finished like a lot of Guided by Voices. It was just <clears throat> very underproduced, rough-sounding, dreamy music. And it, it had this psychology to it. You know, it got my mindset thinking, you know, to the way where I could go and read Murakami novels and Zizek uh, philosophy. You know, it, it, it was pretentious and it was real pretension but it was also real emotion and his music. It was like, it was always just reflective. You know, I always had this feeling of just, <clears throat> I don't know. Again, it was, it was kind of, um, there was a sadness to it. You know, there's this, again, I think there is a sadness to Amy, man. There's a sadness to this. And it was the kind of thing that I could just put on and, and stumble through night, the night without my headphones, you know, seeing his, do you, mm -hmm. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, uh, with the sadness part, um, do, do you find that you're drawn to the, the sadder music because you're feeling that way? Or do you want to feel that way so you listen to that music? Like, do, do you ever like, I, I don't know, like I, I find that, you know, when you're sad, you want to, I mean, for me, when I'm sad, I prefer listening to happier music. Oh, Sad, I, I, and I think other people, when they're sad, will go for the sad stuff. I will. I mean, I think I put on – and now I think because, you know, again, I've lived <clears throat> more life than I had then, you know, 20s then, 40s now. So I have the, the body of work to go to with these familiar tinges. I think stuff in the 90s, stuff like this Tobin Sprout album, it was sad sounding in a way. And again, because I didn't quite know what he was saying all the time, it, there, there was a sadness to it mm. that allowed me to experience the feelings. Like I, I wasn't raised to really express sadness. We kind of buried that in my family. Sure. Wonderful parents, wonderful father, most caring man in the world wanted us to be happy, you know, wanted us. And, and that's a great thing to want. You're a father. I assume you want your kids to be happy. I do. 
But I think at least no how Tobin he and Sprout I interact. In what was that? It said no Tobin Sprout in my house. No Tobin Sprout, just rancid, if I remember that, right from last that's week. That's right. But I think like I, I was almost discouraged or not encouraged, I guess. Yeah. But I to you know, to experience the painful feelings. Those weren't things. Always look to tomorrow. You know, just put that away and think happy thoughts. And I think when you get a song with this kind of tone, the Tobin Sprouts was all about the tone of these songs and the sound being very haunting and ethereal. To go back to the Amy Mann for a minute and her lyrics hearing these moving, catchy songs that are structured like songs, which I understand, you know, chorus, lyrics, and all of that, to have that playing, to be able to feel that and have the drama of those emotions, sure, it was exaggerated to fit the songs, but in that exaggeration, it allowed me to kind of grasp these other feelings, this depression, this lost, this drunkenness, this pain, whatever it was. Mm. In the cloud of the song, as I'm flailing around, I would hit on those every now and then that made sense. And I think that that was vital. That was vital for me getting through it. I think that's, you know, like music changed for me drastically when I got to college because I wasn't driving a car with my tape deck. I wasn't sitting in my room playing music for not the first time in my life because I would wear them on car rides. But really, I was walking around the world with headphones on right? more often than ever. Yeah. This was before podcasts. I didn't listen to radio. So I just had mixtapes. We've talked about this before. Right. So I'm going around the places that I know, locations that I know with these feelings, struggling with these feelings, attaching it to these, these emotions, to these landscapes. And it's all getting soundtracked in my head by these songs. So it's all interconnected because I'm existing, I'm existing in the headphones in my world. Yeah. And if that world has these emotions swirling around, then yeah, I'm going to interact with them. I'm going to experiencing them. I'm going to experience them, excuse me. And so these songs were sort of, you know, the reverberations that shook them up. Right. These songs were, were the metaphors. I mean, they're metaphors, basically. Yeah. Again, I don't have to know the song I would re- recommend off of this is that a song was- called Gastet. Oh, you're going to ask that? Do you want to ask that? That was my next uh, question. Like, what's what's the the one that stands out? It's a song called Gas Daddy Gas. It's a slow, haunting, sad song that I don't know what it's about. I don't get the title. I don't know what he's saying. But boy, the tone of that, the dirge march of that song fit my mood so perfectly that I could understand a little bit. Not understand, because that's what therapy and psychologists are for, but at least experience. It made these feelings real. Sure. And I think that's why I was gravitating towards these albums, where five years earlier, in the early 90s, it was the replacements were there. Mother Love Bone was there, but it was also fucking Aerosmith, you know, and their 40-year-old rock about sex, which I didn't understand. You know, I didn't get that. But do you not? Do you like you like sad music, right? There must be sad songs you enjoy, or no? Maybe not. Um, there are some sad songs I enjoy, but no, I do tend to lean towards upbeat songs. Like I'll even enjoy like an upbeat song um, and ignore the sad lyrics because there's a, there's mm-hmm. a lot of those. Um, sure. Uh, yeah, it's I've, flexible. I've, music's flexible. Like yeah, that. music's flexible. I've I've always been drawn first to the melodies. Uh, and then the lyrics come second. Not that the lyrics aren't important, just that that's not the first thing I, I usually grasp. There are occasions where they stand out and they are the mm-hmm. immediate thing, but usually it's the melody and the sound and the tone. 
Yeah, lyrics um, always come second to me. It is your. I think what you're saying is is how I experience music. It's melody first. Aren't there beautiful sad melodies that just touch you though? Isn't there like? Um, um, no, yeah, absolutely. I I don't know. I'm. I think because much of what I've listened to, I've listened to via mixtapes, either in mm-hmm. my headphones or in my car, and when I'm making those tapes, and I know I'm going to be out and about. I tend to pick more upbeat songs, travel type songs, moving f- songs, like something with momentum to it. I have the exact opposite. That's so weird. Really? Well, because I would make the mixtapes for walking around in my moods. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe my moods were just a little bit more uh, aggressive. <laughs> I don't know. I, I found you this wanted interesting. the keys. Maybe nothing was driving you crazy. I don't know. I don't know. But it's it's interesting because the, the process. It sounds like the process is the same, but yeah. the uh, the content and the purpose or what we wanted. Because again, you were saying, do you go to the music for this? Do you get it out of the music? Maybe the music we want is the music that sparks these feelings. You know, maybe that's what we want, or one of the things we want. You know, when I'm yeah. making. It, you know, so it's it, it it dictates some of that. Like there's plenty of upbeat music I enjoy. It is odd. I'm looking at this list right now, wondering where it is. But <laughs> to turn to my CDs for a moment, I got this. Uh, I got a Leonard Cohen compilation. <laughs> Ani DeFranco. Oh Jesus, crass. Um, well, I'm sure if I got out of you know, I, I must have something that's a little. A little more. It's in there. It's I think in you there, have a sure. Def Leppard album. I do. Actually, I have a greatest hits Def Leppard. I don't know how you know that. Yeah. But um, um, before yeah. we get to your third album, yes, I want to just point out something that I find kind of interesting, and I'll, I'll see if it comes up on your other highlight songs. Okay, I, I think it's interesting and, and cool the juxtaposition, at least for me, of the titles of the two songs you called out: "The Fourth of July" and "Gas Daddy Gas," because both of them, just by their title. I immediately think of something uh, exciting, uh, happy. The 4th of July, it's, <laughs> it's fireworks going off, it's explosions, it's color. And Gas Daddy Gas, I hear like, you know, somebody from the 50s. That's a gas, Daddy. <laughs> you, you know? And it's just well, funny that both of those yeah. songs uh, are the opposite of that. Wow. No, very much so. That's interesting. Yeah, I wonder if that is where the title comes from. I wonder if you just solved my 22-year <laughs> conundrum or whenever 96 Perhaps. has come out for 22 years. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see if you can uh, – what you got to offer for this. It's, uh, the, the album number three. What if I hopped onto that? Is that – Let's do it. Is that cool? So my third favorite album of the 90s, and I'm curious – I so far, so far I feel like – I was surprised you, that Amy Mann, you connected that to me. I'm happy about that. I wasn't sure if that was something I shared or if that was private. Um, but this third one uh, is – it's a self-titled EP from 1995 uh, from the musician, another Boston-based musician, uh, Mary Lou Lord. Ah, yes. Do you know her? I know Tim Blevins. <laughs> I'm sorry. God damn it. <laughs> no, I, I mean – that's you knew built this bill through me. I know Mary Lou Lord through you. And what do you think of her? What 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 do you think when you think of Mary Lou Lord? All I can th- remember of Mary Lou Lord because again the tunes aren't coming to me, but I'm 
picturing her with like the acoustic guitar busking on a Boston sidewalk. Exactly. I used to see her everywhere. That's yeah. why I fucking loved her. She played in the subways. She played in Harvard Square. I didn't know it was called busking then, but I guess you're right. Um, but yeah, she was a musician who played. I don't out- know if they do call it busking in the states. That's I got that from uh, Britain. Oh really? Okay. I'm sure, so they, I'm sure it's the same. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure the busing. That's probably how she gets around. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, she this she played for tips. She had her guitar and her guitar case. She'd throw money, you know. Did you she, buy a CD from her guitar case on the street? I bought this CD from her. That's awesome. Guitar case. I did not. I did not know that. No, yeah, I fucking. Oh my god, she. I. I just. I would see her everywhere, and it was just one night. Um, because this is the album. I mean, this is the album I write my romantic scenes to when I used to write scripts. You know, this ah, is nice. like my indie rock love. And yeah, she was playing in Newberry Street in um, 1997. It must have been probably the summer of 97. I was working at the Starbucks. Um, and I was with this other girl who I worked with. We were having basically a one night stand, a shallow one night stand. Mm. But uh, we were walking Newberry Street. She was there. We stood there. We listened to her play three songs. You know, I knew who she was. I had seen her other places, but we listened to her play three songs. You know, there's a little small crowd there. They kind of dispersed or they're walking by. I stepped forward. I grabbed the disc from the pile and I handed her, I don't know, $6, $7. I don't know. I nodded. I said, thanks. And I mean, Jesus, that's what Boston sounds like to me. Someone playing an album and that's throwing awesome. money at it. You know, and that's I was watching. Yeah, I was just like, wandering the streets with this girl from work, you know, with a CD oh. in my hand, not even quite knowing what was on it yet. <laughs> and it, you know, it's just drama. It didn't last and whatever. But at that point, <laughs> it was romantic seeing her play. Yeah. In exchange for the CD and getting this particular CD. I mean, this CD had the song in it that I always asked her to play. The song that I would recommend is a song called Helsinki. It's this sweet guitar song that was just, to me, was the most romantic. This was the song I always wanted to play. You know, when I'm at the bar with that girl, I secretly have a crush on, or, you know, when you're flirting with someone, it was kind of the song I thought that would be playing in the background as you get closer, you know, these dumb manipulative fantasies we have. But I asked her to play, right? Do you have songs like that? Like particular songs that would would soundtrack that? I I have soundtracked so many moments of my life. I have done it. I, I mean, I think you've done it too. I've done it live walking through the streets of Boston with the music in my head. Exactly. That's be- what this stuff because is. A, because a certain song comes on, I'm acting differently sure. as I go into the store. I'm looking at things differently. I'm, I'm giving that, you know, eyes to somebody because the song's in my head. It's not in their head. They don't know what <laughs> the fuck's so. going on. No, but for me, one. it's like I'm starring in my own little movie here and – I'm the star. Is this phony? Is this phony behavior? Are we putting on a total act? I think for me, yeah. I mean, it's an act, but for me, I always expected and hoped to then go back and use that at a future time to, to, to tie in that moment. So using in, it, by the way, is phony. That is phony. It is phony. I'm saying it's phony. Okay. All right. Um, because it's, it's, I, you know, I wasn't actually going to speak to that person, but like my, for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to tie this moment and this attitude and this feeling and this scene to this song. And then later I will write that out and it'll be in that story. Um, so I, I often did that during that time period. That's what this fucking album was. 
this was always the album I wanted playing it just, and I would see it in my mind I could, and I would act out in my head the the dialogue and, and she, I don't think she liked the song <laughs> that I liked <laughs> because I asked her to play it two different times in my life that I saw her. I asked her to play it. And the first time she kind of rolled her eyes. I was like, Oh, that song's so old. It did like a Bob Dylan cover or something, but I don't know. I do remember this other time. I don't know where it was coming home from. I, I don't, maybe I was at Curious Liquids. I was getting, I was walking down the park street downstairs, you know, the subway red line. Um, so I must've been living in Somerville by then still, if I was going to the red mm-hmm. line and she was playing, yeah. nobody was paying attention and she was playing by this one post. So I kind of stood near another post and I stood there and I waited through three trains just listening to her. Oh. And there was a moment where she kind of looked up, I think she was counting her money or something, and we made eye contact. She kind of looked over at me. In my head, I'm thinking, oh, she probably recognizes me. Of course she doesn't. <laughs> but we made eye contact, and I took a couple steps forward, and I nodded my head, and I was like, you know, I, I, I stumbled. I don't remember how. I know she didn't ask me. I remember thinking that was brave. It's not, but I thought it was. But I somehow stammered out, I really like that song, Helsinki. And I, I don't know if I asked her to play it or just expressed that, but she played it. You know, she played this song and she played it for me. Like nobody else was stopping. Nobody. And it's not that she kept looking up. It's not like we were making eye contact, but she did play it. And I felt like, and I got on the train after it. After that was, I was like, okay, I got what I wanted. I got to go. But (laughs) I don't know that. I mean, she, what she was doing, that life of playing in the subway. I mean, that, that's, that was art. You know, in Boston. In Boston. Did she, did she, like, didn't she have some success? Yeah, she did. She had a, she got signed to this major label. She released a major album. I don't think it did as big as they wanted, but that's the thing. She had all of that and she was still on the streets performing. She also toured. She also was on 120 minutes. Like, she did all of that. And to me, that was so important because. You know, I was walking around again in my long coat, clutching my cigarettes and notebooks, you know, and there she was late at night, you know, playing her music and representing what I wanted to be at that time. I wanted to be like, like a street artist, you know, and she wore it out and probably didn't make a living off of it. And I just fucking, that meant so much to me. That was so important to me at that time. That's so you, um, I can absolutely see that connection at that time. Even now I can see that that's, that's, that's so you. Oh, I mean, you know, now living your art. Now I have insurance. Yeah. I can live a little (laughs) more dangerously, but I don't know. I, that's kind. I don't know if that's true anymore, but that's kind. But no, that she was such a big, and I didn't realize that because yeah, my dad used knows who she is and still says like yeah, do you he still asks you still still see her playing around? No, I don't think she does that anymore. But he registered that she meant something to me. It was she was an important presence on the scene. And it's not like again she didn't do anything directly for me. We didn't interact, but that music and what right. she was doing, fantasy or not in my head, was what I needed to see. And validated, you know, my own standing. Yeah. And that album, I love that. I, I listened to that EP a lot, you know, actually probably more than a Tobin Sprout album or the Amy Mann album. Those songs still, because not that many songs either, but those songs, they show up on every mixtape. <laughs> like I said, when I write. Well, I'm already, 
I'm already planning on listening, searching for Helsinki after after we're done because I'm excited to hear that. Yeah, do you remember it? Or I want to hear what it sounds like. Okay, yeah. I don't know if I do. I'm, I'm I, I imagine when I go to listen it to it, familiar. it will ring a bell. No, that's great. Yeah, it'll be very familiar. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Oh. And you know when I when I hear when I hear the name Helsinki, I think Party Town. <laughs> so yeah, very upbeat. No, what uh, we're getting down to the wire here with with. With these albums, albums two, yeah, we're getting one. To, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I'm, is Aerosmith next, or is that the number one album? <laughs> I thought they'd have their own list. Um, so <laughs> no, but these last two ones, actually, two and one. These, I think you you might have had the same trouble. These were very hard <laughs> to do. Yeah, and I mean, I I still don't think I got it right. <laughs> like, I'm going to tell you my number two. And then my number one, okay. that's how the countdown works. And <laughs> it's weird because given everything, I think that when I, when I listen back to podcast episodes or just think about how do I interact in the world, given everything I've ever said, given everything that I am in regards to pop culture, music, what I do, what I have on my walls, this makes sense. This numbering will make sense. But in some ways... You know, when I think about this list, I I, I still think it might be flip flopped. I I can't mm. tell. Yeah, I can't tell if I did this right. Like I'm going to say this one is there's no, two, but in my head, I think it. There's no right and wrong. Here's here's what I said to myself to make myself feel better about my list, and you can use it if you want to. If if number one gets a point value of ten, mm-hmm. then for me, number two was nine point nine 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 nine. Like they're just that close. Well, they are pretty close. But this album, number two, I guess, just to yeah. make this list. And and the reason it's here, the reason that um well the reason it's on this list is uh when I first heard it, this this album, when I listened to it, the first time I listened to it, I didn't know a single track off of it. I didn't know anything on it. Truthfully, I thought I was buying something else when I bought it. Um, hmm. in 1995, early 1995, back, back in 95. Yeah. I was hearing, I was hearing a lot of the breeders on MTV. Um, and they had a song that they had their big song, the bowling ball, uh, the video rolling over and over, and over. <laughs> bowling ball, cannonball. Sure. I love that song. You know, I didn't know what it was called. Uh-huh. But somehow I got it stuck in my head that, oh, that song is called, and I don't know where, but I had the title Mesmerizing, maybe because of that droning beginning or something, but Mesmerizing. That's what I thought the title was. I thought, I can look for that. So I went to a Strawberries music store because I must have been back home. Nice. And um, I had a couple just names in my head off of TV, off of MTV, you know, one of which was the album that I'm going to tell you, the artist of, of this album. And so, you know, I thumbed through the CD racks as you would do, and, you know, I found found the name, and there were two albums there. Uh, actually, there might have been an EP as well, but there were two albums. So I picked them both up, I flipped them both over, and as luck would have it, um, Mesmerizing was right there in one of the track listings. One of the albums had a song called Mesmerizing. So I grabbed it. I brought That's it home. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. Exactly. I brought it home and I, I put it on to listen. And what I heard was not um, Cannonball, as the song is actually called. Um, but it was also um, 
not like anything I had ever heard before. This was this album that I had just brought home. I'm actually getting a little bit of a goosebump now. Okay. It was like putting on the replacements Let It Be or or, or David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust, you know, for the first time, or that first time, you know, in 1984 when I heard Material Girl. There there was no comparison for this album. Nothing sounded like this with its guitar, with it with with this voice that was on it. It was dirty, it was filthy. <laughs> It was brutal and insightful, and it was it, it it was like about sex, but it was about like the disgust of sex, you know. Not you were talking about Aerosmith, not dirty Steven Tyler sex, you know. With, so with, so with, not divinals, not divinals sex. No, this was about the difficulty of sex. Got it. Um, and having it and enjoying it, but also having it, and all those songs seemed to like like to be something I could agree with, you know, sex is difficult, sex is messy and not always enjoyable. And, you know, at that point I hadn't even had it yet, <laughs> but I was, it was definitely, you know, I wrapped it, I wrapped myself around it, you know, with doubts. And I had nothing that sounded like this album that was just pure new. And, you know, I, I heard it and felt like I want to make something that real, you know, that felt like that. I I wanted to have been the one who made Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville. I mean, do you know that album? Do you know that Liz Fair album? I do. Yeah. I didn't have the same reaction you had, but really? uh, I don't know. Uh, I, Cause I listened, I don't think I listened to it as directly as you did sitting down, putting it on, listening to it. For me, it was always background. Oh, did you do you have it? Do you own it? Did you just say that? I do have it, uh, but I haven't really dug into it. Oh. But now I must. I please because I, here's the thing: this actually might be the most influential album of my twenties. You know, it painted this pretty wrecked image of trying to maintain like even a shitty relationship. <laughs> You know, and it was questioning yeah. the importance of relationships, and it was doing it right, you know, right to the face of the person. You know, she said words like cunt and wet, and it, it all felt viciously real, but it was also so melodic. And there was just, you know, there was just, there was melodies to it. Like the song, the song I would recommend off of this, it's a song called Dance of the Seven Veils, you know, and it had, cause she has like a fragile voice on it. And it's kind of harmonizing, but kind of just not able to, it's almost like she can't maintain it. It's going up and down. You know, it's almost like Lou Reed sometimes, I think was a big draw. You know, more talking than singing, almost tricking you into thinking it's a melody. But in the song, it's like she's talking right to the subject of the song, like a one-way conversation, you know, direct. And I feel like this I wrote down, so I'm sorry I'm reading this sentence, but I do feel, I, I do believe this. I just wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. But this album, I think, is what Chasing Amy wanted to be in terms of like frankness. And maybe Chasing Amy was, but this was felt so honest and it didn't feel foreign to me. I didn't feel like I couldn't relate to what she was saying. And again, I hadn't had sex yet. And again, I don't have a vagina. And again, I'm not a musician from Chicago, but everything she was singing and how she was singing about it just struck me. You know, this idea that this is going to be the worst at times, what you're, this is not, everything is not worth it. And you need to 
call it out on that. You need to address that. And I just, I listened to this album all the way through constantly, constantly, you know, when, when I got it and I didn't know, and it's just by chance. I love Liz Fair. I love these three albums of hers in the nineties. And it's not that I would never have heard her, but the experience of coming across this totally and completely by an accident that doesn't feel like an accident when I make a story out of it. I mean, this, again, this is what finding an album was all about, I think. Yeah, that I am jealous of that experience. I mean, I've, I've probably had it a few times as well, but to, to, to put something on and you're expecting one thing and you get something else and you can't pull yourself away from it. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, it's not like, oh, this isn't right. So you turn <laughs> it off. No, it's like it immediately will grab you and shock you. Um, that's, that's a feeling I've only had a few times and it's great to hear you tell it cause you, you, you really paint a picture well, uh, of, of how that can affect you. I don't think you can have it that often. It wouldn't make sense if I wouldn't trust right. every album. That's true. That's true. And it's only a handful of albums that do this. And again, I don't even know if my number one does this, but in fact, I feel a little bad now. <laughs> because my number one, <laughs> you, you've, you've, you've talked number two up so yeah, much. It seems a little anticlimactic. Like I need a cigarette <laughs> after that last one. <laughs> but I mean, number one, you know, it's still number one. It still holds its place. I, I think, you know, it means it does mean too much because I have spent so much time with it. I just, I've been enjoying rethinking Liz Fair and realizing what, what how it hit me. But, um, right. That's just a fucking amazing album. But number one, I'm sure you know my number one. I think you know my number one. Have you heard of my number one favorite album? We've talked about it on the show. Paul, I think so. Yeah. Paul Westerberg's yeah. 14 songs. Would you have picked that? 14 of, of them. Of course. And of course, it's the <laughs> album that got me to college. It's the album that got me to venture out <laughs> and about. It got me to think and dream and act. <laughs> Manic. It's like my big cinematic album. It's soundtracked everything i fucking did and felt every feeling through it and blah 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 <laughs> no, don't no no, I mean, no, no. I, I can yeah we've, we've talked about it before yeah. so it, yeah it might feel like um we're just retreading it but uh, don't put it down like no, that. i know it meant, I just, it meant I, a lot to you this is a little embarrassing it's so and it meant a lot to it meant a lot to me too yeah um this was the first album i bought after uh moving out of our apartment together. I remember you saying that. Coming out to LA. The, the the first album I had to get because it's like, I don't have this in my life anymore. I've got to get 14 songs in my life because it was in your life. It was our time together um, a lot. Um, so it's important. There's no harm in it being number one. No, and of course it's important. It just it seems so predictable. Like it seemed like, of course. Well, I mean, that's the same thing with, with Oasis for me. Yeah. Any human being that knew me from 1995 to 1999 Mm -hmm. only thinks of me that I'm not like good friends with still only think of me as the guy who likes Oasis. Now, has it diminished a little though? Like, do you, is it hard to go back to it sometimes or is it less impressive? The Oasis albums? Um, no, I still absolutely love those first two albums. I get a, a lot of thrill out of their third album. I, I can't stand their fourth album. It's the worst <laughs> thing ever. Uh, but then their last couple were uh, two or three, I think. Um, 
have some highlights and, and I listen to them and I've got all of their, you know, BDI and Noel Gallagher's high flying birds. I've got all those albums. I don't listen to them as intensely as I listen to other stuff now. Um, but yeah, and and this is a question I have for you mm-hmm. um, along these same lines. So, fourteen songs, your number one of the nineties. Yeah, where would you say fourteen songs? Just roughly, where do you would say it ranks overall in in all the music now across your entire life? Because you know my Oasis albums are are down. They're probably the first two are probably the back of the top ten, maybe now mm-hmm. instead of number one. Where's 14 songs go? It's not, you know, to look at, yeah, to look at it without the stipulation of the 90s. No, it's not. It's probably not in the top five. I mean, mm. fucking, because, it, but it's just like, because like the stuff, my favorite albums, like Ziggy Stardust, B-1000 by Guided by Voices, um, Material Girl by Madonna. I mean, those are like three of my favorites and then probably the replacements, Let It Be. You know, it's four. Like, I don't even think it would be number five. Uh, Liz Fair is probably in there at number five. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> to take it out of the 90s, Liz Fair beats 14 songs. I think two things are happening there. One, I'm allowed to get Paul Westberg in with the replacements that way. <laughs> yeah. Two, I think, as time has gone on, I mean, of course, like the song I would recommend off of 14 songs, First Glimmer, that's still a big deal to me. That yeah. ballad is because it's everything you feel – with like your first crush, you know, their first true love, whatever, but your first crush, you know, and it never, that feeling never diminishes your very first crush. Like I know my first crush from college and it never diminishes. I'm, I'm with the person I love now and my life is mature and meaningful. But that first one, that first crush and the song that goes with it and the lyrics about safety pins and God that it hurts, you know, that, that's still the most real something we'll ever feel because I didn't know any better. You know, I didn't know responsibilities and realities or how to be kind to someone. You know, I just knew selfish, self-fulfilling emotion. And at 20, that's okay. And that's what that fucking song is about. And it's so important for me to remember that, that that song is so important. But yeah, 14 songs on a list outside of the 90s doesn't make the top five. That's weird. That's weird numbering. Because in the 90s, so that's that's what was hard about this list too. In the 90s, I was discovering the replacements, yeah. all the rest of their albums. So that's when I would have dug those, you know? So And then out of the 90s came Guided by Voices. So those things are timeless to me now. But I guess within right. the span of the 90s, yeah, 14 songs best represented where I was at. Do you still it, – it sounds like you don't really go back to 14 songs, but do you go back to any of these others? I do. And I go back to 14 songs. I go back to songs off of it. Um, yeah. yeah, Exile and Guyville I definitely do. And the Mary Lou Lord I do. It's weird. The Carnival Boy and whatever, I don't go back to that often. But this week, I fucking – I listened to whatever like four times in a row. <laughs> I had it playing at work. Right. First time was for research, and then I was like, listen to that again and again. I fucking love nice. it. And Carnival Boy, I put it on when I was walking because I wanted to try to recreate that that sensation. Like, yeah. They are good albums. I they're 
whatever, yeah, I, I know like a track or two I put on mixes, but the album as a whole I hadn't listened to in a while. And Carnival Boys the same way. Like when I make Guided by Voices mixes, I also put on Robert Pollard and Tobin Sprout solo stuff. And so there's stuff off of Carnival Boy that makes it there. But to listen to the whole album and the whole of the album, because that's one of those weird cardboard digipacks that's falling apart. Like just holding that and remembering that, there's a lot of memory to that. Right. But yeah, I mean, you know, once this week passes and we move on to whatever the next fucking topic for the show is, I, I probably, <laughs> those CDs will be put back again for a while. But the Mary Lou Lord, the Liz Fair, and a lot of the 14 songs, not all 14 of them, we'll say six of them, those <laughs> stay in constant rotation. Sure. Yeah. I, nice. It was interesting. The Liz Fair, like I listen to her all the time. Listening to it from start to finish when I thought, oh, yeah, that's probably going to be on the list. When I went from start to finish, yeah, that's when this hit. Mm. That's when I really realized the impact that this thing had or revisited the impact that this thing had because I wasn't expecting that. That was the biggest surprise. I'm, like I knew it was going to be on the list. I didn't realize how I felt still about it, and that was great. Screeching Weasel did not make the list. I thought they Screeching were Screeching Weasel's not there. No. The Soul Asylum, no, and which is I, I forget about them because they were big for me. But no, nothing off of the high school list except for fourteen songs. But I was going to put Ned's Atomic Dustbin on this, but I'm like, well, I thought about that one. I yeah. thought that might come up based on the last talk. I was hoping I'd hear some Bouncing Souls. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I was trying to think like that was the thing with the list. There was a moment of like I kind of mix my genres. You can't do that. <laughs> I was like, where's yeah. my book genre? That's why Screeching Weasel was going to bump out Amy Mann. But I'm like, well, <laughs> and while that's still questionable, I'm like, her album meant more to me. So, yeah. No, I I actually uh, find this list to be fascinating. And I, I wish that I had heard these albums enough uh, or had them even. Like, I want to go back and I want to hear them just the way you're talking about them. I, I want to listen to them. So, I'm going to seek some of this stuff out now. Well, that's cool. What a fun and ultimately frivolous exercise this was. But. Sure. But hey, if it just introduces, you know, one or two more people to these bands, um, you know, the one or two people that listen to our podcast, that would be great. I oh, think. Yes, yes, world. Support Amy Mann. You might not know her, <laughs> but she's out there. And while you're supporting her, why don't you support us? Who's us? 20th Century Popcast. That's Who's Us. Uh, or this weekly show that you're listening to. And you can uh, check us out. <clears throat> check us out. I am choking here because I'm so dry on water. Check us out on www.20podcast.com. That's the main website. We can always find the most recent episodes streaming, as well as link to all of our past episodes. You can also find links to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher Podcasts, on Google Play, and other podcast aggregates. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, then you enjoy the show um a huge favor that i would plead with you to do because it would help us out drop us a little review you can rate us with stars people love rating things um, but you can also leave a little review say what you like or don't like about the show helps our egos like i always mention but it also helps uh the show um you can also follow me on twitter at subcultist and on instagram also at subcultist bob i jumped into this did you want to jump into this too Sure, yeah, you can follow me at RH Canning on Twitter. Uh, we've talked about the, the blog. If you're interested in checking my mixtape blog out, you can do that at uh, superultramegamix.wordpress.com. Superultramegamix.wordpress.com. Uh, super, 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 super
superultramegamix.wordpress.com. Um, yeah, and I also encourage uh, folks to also can find us on Facebook. Leave a comment, ask some questions. Let us know if you want us to make you a mix. I think we'd be happy to do that. That would be cool to do that. But uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Join us next week when we talk about the top two live albums of the 1990s, or is it live? Um, but until then, uh, we normally have a closing here. I am honestly losing my voice. So Bob, if you want to just take a minute, two minutes, three minutes, and just close out the show, that would be astounding. That would be astounding. We we don't close these out quickly. So yes, let me let me discuss more about mixtape making and uh, just say so long, everybody. No, but he's um. That made me think he was. Hey, I have a WordPress account. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. I, I, I don't believe I said, and you don't. It was, I was saying that's what I thought when I saw his blog, meaning that doesn't necessarily mean he's acting just because he has a blog about it. True. Right? Correct. Correct. I don't even think the blog is about acting. I don't know. I've only read one, and I was like, this is not for me. But I feel that way about most blogs, which is shitty because I ask people to listen to my show all the time, but I don't want to read their I know. blogs. I saw you you liked my latest entry, but I'm curious if you actually read it. I did not read it yet. I liked the picture of the tape. thought the tape was cute. But that's honest. I was liking the picture of the tape. And I didn't leave a comment like, good read. You can always tell that one. Great job. Oh, yeah, it takes me back. And then, like, I'll reference not a song from Side A, but Side B to make it look like I listened to the listen to read the whole article. Because I know you go in order. No, I haven't. I have not read it. I'm sorry. Not sorry, but that's, I mean, it's, yeah, I guess it's not. It's, it's, I'll take that like fine. back. If that helps out. I'll remove it. Please do. <laughs>